Good morning. Brian said, my name is Chris McAlilly. I uh, am excited to be here. I bring you greetings from my congregation, Oxford, Uni Oxford University United Methodist Church in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, in Oxford, we are getting ready to welcome students back, and the fall means that it's almost SEC football season. And I know that some of you travel up that way for games, and I just wanted to come down today and extend an invitation to you uh, that when you're in town uh, for a game on Saturday, just stay around for Sunday morning and come and worship with us at Oxford University. We would love uh, to see you this fall. Andy was kind enough to extend the invitation to me that I could extend the invitation to you this fall. Um, it's, it's a real joy to be here. I've been looking forward to it. I was a member of this church from 1994 to 2000 when my dad uh, was the pastor here. And coming back, to, uh, coming back to Madison and coming back to St. Matthew's after all those years, it's uh, amazing how the flood of memories that, that comes back to me of being in the youth group here or being in Tim's youth choir, or I, I remembered standing up here that I preached my first sermon on a youth Sunday uh, from this pulpit. I'm sure it was absolutely terrible and horrific, and I've tried to forget it, and I hope that you have as well. Um, I also uh, saw Ken and Sharon Gates and uh, remembered that they probably know more about me than I want told while I'm here. Um, but I did want to say that this has always been a very important and special church for me. This is sacred and holy ground. I remember when the sanctuary was being built, um, and I remember the number of ways in which you as a congregation helped to shape and form my faith, and uh, I wouldn't be where I am today without, without this congregation, and so First, I just wanted to say thank you um, for who you were for me, and I know for many, many of you as well. Um, I'm really grateful to Andy uh, for extending the offer to be here. I've been thinking a lot about you and praying for you and uh, looking forward to being with you. Uh, the scripture that we'll be looking at today from the gospel is John, uh, the gospel of John chapter 11. It's, it's, Chapter 11 contains one long story. It's a familiar story, the story of Jesus and Lazarus. And because it's long, and most of us know how it ends with Lazarus being raised from the dead, we're not going to read the whole thing. But I invite you to stand as we hear this, this gospel reading, verses 1 through 21. Hear these words. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Martha was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified, glorified, glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, 
he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day don't stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that, I, that, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus was already, had, had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When, Mary, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I invite you to pray with me for me now. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts find acceptance in your sight. You are our rock and redeemer. Amen. So the story of Jesus and Lazarus. As I said, it's a long story. It, it's a familiar one. We know how it ends. But I wanted to fasten our attention this morning on a very poignant moment in the story when a deeply grief-stricken Martha, the sister of a now very dead Lazarus, goes out to confront the one person in the world that she thought she could depend on, she says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And we have to admit that Martha has a point. Jesus has already, in the Gospel of John, healed a man who was blind from the day he was born. Already in the Gospel of John, Jesus has gone to the pool at Bethsaida and found a man there who was paralyzed for 38 years. And uh, in the power of God, Jesus told the man to pick up his mat and walk, and the man did just that. Already in the Gospel of John, a desperate father came to Jesus all the way from Capernaum saying, Sir, please come. Please, it's my son. I'm losing my son. Please come now. We're running out of time. And Jesus uh, responded to him saying, go, your son will be well, and that very hour he was. So we have to admit, don't we, that Martha has a point. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We hear the sound of a person who feels betrayed by God. Anyone who's ever lived through the death of a loved one knows the anguish in Martha's voice, and some of us know it very personally. Uh, I'll never forget receiving the call that Richard had died. Richard and Annetta were members of uh, my church at the time, 
Annetta I met, though, at the post office. She was uh, a worker at the post office. She was such a delightful presence. I would go in. Uh, our, uh, PO, the church's P.O. box was P.O. box 1. Very easy to remember. But Annetta, when she saw me come in, would always go to the box. I would never have to turn the key. She would just go get my mail and bring it to me, and we would have uh, a conversation. She had been talking for months about retirement. She and Richard had big plans. They were going to get a a mobile home. They had bought a mobile home. They were excited about how they were going to spend their retirement. They had always wanted to travel the country, and they were ready to do it. They'd just gotten home from a trip to uh, the Northeast to Vermont and Maine and New Hampshire where they saw all the fall foliage. And Richard, on this particular day, had gone hunting in the Delta, uh, but he never made it home. He had a heart attack in the duck blind. I got the call after 11 p.m. Her family and friends had already gathered around Annetta, but when I walked through the door, she came to me and kind of fell into my arms sobbing. This was not supposed to be the way it was. Lord, if you had only been here, but you weren't. And it's not as if Jesus had a good excuse. It's not as if he could have looked at Martha and said, you know, Martha, I'm sorry, I was feeding the 5,000, you know, and I, I just couldn't make it. It's not as if Jesus could have said, you know, Martha, nothing would have pleased me more to be by Lazarus' bedside, but I had this previous speaking engagement on the other side of the country. No. John makes absolutely clear that the reason that Jesus didn't go was because Jesus never intended to go. The way the writer of John puts it is that even though Jesus loved Martha, and even though Jesus loved Mary, and even though Jesus loved Lazarus, when he got the word that the friend whom he loved was ill and needed him, he decided to tarry for two more days. Jesus waited until time had run out and Lazarus was dead. Lord, if you had only been here, our brother would not have died, but you didn't come and we we ran out of time. It is a theological sign over this broken and fallen and suffering world that all of us are running out of time. The politics of our nation continues to devolve into a spectacle of selfishness and shouting and bickering and personal attacks. There's a long shadow of sorrow and fear, anger and anxiety that hangs over the country. There are serious issues that need to be addressed, but we're running out of time. The disparity between the rich and the poor continues to widen inequality, it continues to to widen. We know that justice demands better, but we're running out of time. There's brokenness in our families, long fissures and estrangements, deep wounds. We want it to be better, but we're running out of time. And down at the end of every corridor stands death, our mortal enemy, with an alarm clock holding it out and looking at us, saying, I am the Lord of time, and eventually you're all going to have to come to me. You're running out of time. A couple of years ago, the Stanford neurosurgeon Paul Kalanithi was heading into chief, his chief residency when he developed a classic 
constellation of symptoms. He lost 30 pounds. He had fevers and night sweats and unremitting back pain and a cough. In May of 2013, he was, uh, Kalanithi, who had never smoked a day of his life, was diagnosed with stage four metastatic lung cancer. He wrote about his illness in the New York Times and the Stanford Medicine. In residency, there's a saying, he wrote, the days are long, but the years are short. After his diagnosis, the gears of time began to grind down for him. While, able, while he was able to limp to the end of his residency on treatment, he relapsed, underwent chemo, and endured a, long, a prolonged hospitalization. Despite the reality of his condition, though, he wrote, there was this dynamism in our household. Our daughter was born just a few days after I was released from the hospital. Week to week, she just blossoms a first grasp, a first smile, a first laugh, the brightening newness that surrounded her as she sat in my lap, smiling, enthralled by my tuneless singing, he said, an incandescence lit up the room. But time for me is a double-edged sword. Every day brings me further away from the low of my last cancer relapse, but every day also brings me closer to the next cancer recurrence and eventually death. I just hope that I live long enough, he wrote, that my daughter has some memory of me. Lord, if you had only been here, our brother would not have died. But you weren't, and we ran out of time. But it's precisely at that moment in the story, when the world felt like it had run out of time, that Jesus says, it's time to go in. To which the disciples recoil and say, you can't go in there, there's death in there. To which Jesus replies, this is not about death, this is about the glory of God. And he went in. If you want to know what time it is in the Gospel of John, you, you need two wristwatches. On one arm, you can tell historical time, ordinary time, clock time, it's about 11.40 uh, on Sunday, July 29th, 2018. Tick-tock, we're running out of time. But on the other watch, you have to tell eternal time. You have to tell God's time, in which Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And God is all in all, and the shalom of God will one day in envelop all of us in the great victory of God. And Jesus in the Gospel of John, refuses to march to the alienated, atheistic drumbeat of a world that thinks it's running out of time. And with eternity in his eyes, Jesus stands before the tomb of Lazarus, and as he stands before every single tomb, and he says, I'm the resurrection, and I am the life. Come out, Lazarus, come out. And he came out full of hope and life. I'm telling you, it's not life that's running out of time. It's death that's running out of time. It's not justice that's running out of time. It's injustice that's on the clock. It's not hope that's running out of time. It's despair that's running out of time. The theologian Karl Barth once said, if I give you my money, I give you my money. But if I give you my time, I give you everything that I have, everything that I am. God created time, Barth said, and in Jesus Christ, God makes time for you, takes time for you, has time for you, is time 
for you. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and I am the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I think all that sounds great until you have somebody in your life whom you dearly love who dies. When the gears of time grind to a halt for you, when you get stuck in the storms of grief, when you experience crushing brokenness, I'm fascinated in this story by the character of Martha because Martha has come to believe. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. Do you believe this? And Martha responds, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe that you're the Son of God. You're the one coming into the world. And something remarkable happens from within her trust in Jesus. From within her belief, a new horizon opens up, a new way of viewing life and death. The scholar, the biblical scholar Sandra Schneiders puts it this way, Christian spirituality is neither an escape from real life nor a denial of its pain, but a way of living that is transfigured even now by the resurrection and life that is Jesus. Sometimes when we experience death, it can feel like Jesus has betrayed us. And I think part of the reason why it feels like that is because Christians say some terrible things to people when they've experienced tragedy or pain or loss. It's almost as if, you know, Christians, we throw Scripture at the problem, right? And it's almost as if we know, we, all, we know all the right passages to say, and yet it's almost as if we know the Bible better than we know the human condition. But I think there's good news in this passage. The risen Christ desires to give to all of us a brave and defiant faith that even in the midst of crushing brokenness, there can be something else there. The undeniable, overwhelming, healing power of God's unwavering love. Richard died in December of 2012. Annetta later said that she spent the entire year of 2013 just trying to survive. She went through the motions, her world shattered, the future that she hoped for was lost. She was just trying to get through the days. She remembered every single moment that she had that she shared with Richard, and she grieved the fact that she had run out of time with the man that she most dearly loved. Like Martha, she felt betrayed. But in 2014, she said she stopped feeling sorry for herself. And in 2015, something amazing happened. She began to pray a prayer that her pastor told her to pray. Not me, the next pastor that, that came after me. The prayer is called the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer, written, it's a prayer of openness and surrender to God, composed by John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement in the 18th century in England. And this is how it reads. I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will, rank me with whom you will, put me to doing, put me to suffering, let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be 
exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing, but I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things. Somebody told her that she better be careful, that that was a really dangerous prayer to pray. God might actually listen. There were some people in her church that were organizing a mission trip to Nicaragua. She felt the nudge to go. Maybe she should, but this old fear and despair continued to set in. She could never travel without, without Richard. She could never go out of the country alone. God would never use somebody like her. One Sunday, the pastor was preaching on Acts 3, where the man uh, who was lame from birth was carried by his friends to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he could ask for money and alms to those who entered the temple. One day he saw the apostles enter, and he asked them for alms. Peter, one of the apostles, said, I have no silver or gold, but what I, what I have I give you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he took his right hand and raised him up. And immediately the man got up, stood up, danced, proclaimed, uh, and praised God. Annetta later said that when she heard that sermon, it was one of those moments that you can't describe that sometimes happens in worship. She heard the risen Christ speaking to her through the passage saying, you will not get back what you lost, but the gift I can give you is that you'll be healed. And at that moment, she said, she knew she had to go on the mission trip, and she went. She later said, that trip was a gift from God. It took me to a higher realm than I'd ever experienced. It proved to me that God could and would use someone like me. After the mission trip in 2015, three years after Richard's death, Annetta said that she could finally go on living. I asked her what she meant by that, what it meant to go on living. She said, the mission trip showed her that there was this different dimension of life that was possible. It allowed me, she said, to stop focusing only on my woes, only on my grief, only on my pain. And instead, it allowed me to open myself up with the capacity to love others. And since then, God has uh, opened up other adventures for Annetta. She picks her grandchildren up in the afternoon from school, and on the way to school and back, she always passed this assisted living facility. She always felt this stirring, uh, this nudge that she should maybe go in one day. And one day she said, I think I'll go in. She went in, she met the executive director. It was an African-American woman that she graduated high school with you know, three or four decades before. Uh, Annetta and one of her friends decided that they would become official volunteers. They got fingerprinted so they could go in. They talked their church into adopting the assisted living facility. Most of the residents in this facility come from the state mental hospital, and most of the residents, 80%, are African American. In their first meeting with the director, uh, the director told them that she had been praying for somebody to come and help with Christmas but she never could have imagined that God would send two gray-headed white ladies. Annetta said, I've prayed for God to use me. Of course, now I'm scared what God might ask me to do. Pray that I might have confidence. I'm telling you, it's not hope that's running out of time. It's despair that's running out of time. It's not justice that's running out of time. 
It's injustice that's running out of time. And it's not life that's running out of time. It's death that's running out of time. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals, and he will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more, and mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I make all things new. Living the Christian life is hard. It's not easy. It's a long story. It's a familiar story. But Jesus Christ is the Lord of time. And thanks be to God, we know how the story ends. Amen. As we respond to God's word today, I just I want to pray for us. Um, particularly if you find yourself in a moment of grief, or perhaps there's someone else that you know that you'd like to pray for. And so before closing the service, before our hymn of commitment, I want to open up a space for us to pray. Almighty And most gracious God, you were ever more willing to answer our prayers than we are to ask. You know the needs and desires that we have even before we ask. You know the places of our hearts that we have difficulty naming but we bring our lives before you now. You know those in our midst who are just surviving. You know those in our midst who think that they could never be used by you. You know our grief. You know our pain. You know the places where we despair. Fill us with new life. Revive in us a hope for the future. Resurrect in us the places in our hearts that have died so that we might get up and go forth full of life, full of hope, and full of joy. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation. And we will give you thanks and praise. And we will honor and glorify you always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our closing hymn, I think it's 310, He Lives. You're invited to stand and sing together.